Good morning, Abdullah. How are you doing? Good, thanks, Thomas. Yourself? I'm, I'm here with Abdullah Chudari, and um, he's running an amazing office up in Tambiyambi on the Central Coast in Australia. Yep. And um, I just want you to share some of the things that I find very interesting about you. I and mean, everyone's got something interesting, but you, like, to me, uh, almost that kind of Tony Robbins in, uh, in Australia. So tell me a little bit about you, about your life, Abdullah. So, Thomas, life's been a bit different, I guess. Um, it's, you know, everyone's got a story, and uh, my story's, I guess, a bit out there. So obviously being from a um, Middle Eastern Muslim background, getting brought up in Australia was a different experience. Up until about probably 15, 16, we were very much kept in our own contained society. And, you know, eventually when everything, you know, you rebel against everything and we, you know, slowly started to creep out. I was the first. I think I was out of home by about 16, 17, doing my own thing, dropped out of school and then um, met my partner. And I was living with her around 18, 19. You know, um, things went a bit sour for my personal situation for my family. Um, my dad was, you know, had some successful businesses and whatnot and um, things went a bit wrong and kind of led me into a wrong, I guess, path that you people look at now. At the time, I don't, I like, looking back now, I don't say it's probably wrong, because you know, you have to do what you have to do to um, take care of your family and whatnot, um, but things that I'd probably, you know, wouldn't recommend to do. Yep. And um, yeah, it really shaped me and opened my eyes to different types of, you know, I guess society and people, and it's really helped me in where I am today, because I've, the experience and journey that I went through helped me a lot to understand people. Um, you know, people are very quick to judge other people, yep. but that opened me up. And then, yeah, so I went through that period for about five, six years with my um, current wife and partner at the time. Don't know why she stayed with me, but I was, you know, we were pretty rough getting brought up, you know, with... She, she must see something in nobody else. So. Yeah, she did. She did. There was, she said there was a good heart there and, you know, the heart's what kept it going. Yep. But um, it was pretty, pretty full on part of my life that I don't, you know, go too much into. A few people that, you know, um, talk to me through our network know about it and the yeah. people, I know a lot of people that I work with know everything I've done, you know, right or wrong, you know, law abiding or not, but it shaped me to the person I'm today. When I first met you, you were a bit of an angry man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so what was, what was it that, that click that got you out? What was that thing that really got you out? Because you said, you know, you, you went through and looking back, you realized it was wrong, but there is a time because there's a lot of people who go through what you go through <coughs> and never see anything wrong. Yeah, look, two things woke me up. Well, I guess the, the first one, which wasn't as big, but it was a big reality was, um, when you, you know, you're one of the boys growing up and whatnot, you think you're invincible, you're bulletproof, all that, you know, you're doing wrong things, you get into fights, all that sort of crap. But then finally one day, um, I remember waking up and one of my close friends at the time rang me and said, you know, one of the boys has just been jailed. His house has been raided, he's locked up, and he's gone. And um, I still remember my mother-in-law, and you know, Carolina's in the other room and she'll remember this story too. My mother-in-law the next day took a cut out of the paper, this is going back a while, so six, mm -hmm. seven years ago now, because we're living at, um, we're in between traveling and living at our in-laws in a flat, and my mother-in-law took out a cut out of the paper and put it on the dining room table and said to Carolina to point at me, because she knew the guy in the picture, because he was always at our place, yep. and said, like she was really scared and worried, saying that's gonna be you next. And so that was reality one, that the shit that I was doing, like my parents were always scared and you know crying and whatnot about it. Um, so first, you know, that was reality one for me that, you know, it was finally reality that, you know, one yep. of the boys, as we used to call it, is now gone. And then, 
you know, Carolina was kind of put her foot down saying, you know, this, you know, she's been, she was always crying for years that I was doing the wrong stuff and whatnot. So at the time, pretty much like my cousin, he um, got scared, like he shat himself yeah. and he goes, right, I'm out. And he left the Central Coast and, um, you know, he's doing really successful for himself. He's one of my close, like I, st- I still speak to him every day. Um, he relocated and, you know, he's done good for his life and he said, we got to wake up to ourselves. So that was the first reality. And then the second reality was um, about a couple of months later, Carolina fell pregnant. Right. And we were only, I was only 24, 25 at the time. And yeah, that was a reality check because coming from the background that I'm from, family's everything. You know, you, especially being a male in my culture, that's, that's your responsibility hands down. That was always in, you know, drilled into me. And I, tr- I believe it as you know, people that know me now understand, but that was it. So, you know, whatever was getting done, there was no other option. I was in real estate already at 17, 18, um, but I didn't take it seriously. And, you know, it was time to really, you know, pull my head in and knuckle down. So they are the two big things for me that, you know, you can't go around thinking that you're invincible and bulletproof forever. Um, You know, there's always someone bigger and scarier coming up. And it's very similar to real estate, you know, um, as well. There's always someone right there when you slip up that they're ready to take over, you know, whether you're a salesperson, the next junior with more energy is ready to go. Just like, you know, in the previous life of what I was doing and whatnot, there was always someone there ready to, wanting to be that next, you know, yeah. person. So, so um, it was reality, yeah, it was time to step up. Yeah, that's nice. There, there are always moments like that that um, just wake you up, but you still have to pay attention to those moments. Absolutely. Now, so what were you doing before real estate? You, you, you just left home and you started straight away in real estate? That's um, what I understood from what you said. Yeah, so I, I did, I was in high school till year 10. I dropped out for a year and I was managing, um, my parents and our family had service stations and convenience stores. So right. I was managing some in Newcastle for about six months. Um, you know, in our culture, everyone has to go to uni, all that crap. So I've got four sisters that are pretty successful in that way. You know, psychologist, lawyer, et cetera, et cetera. So, so I wasn't gonna go down that path, but then after six months or so of doing what I was doing, I was fed up with that and I wanted to go home. So I went home and um, yeah, I went back to school did my HSC, finished my HSC, oh, wow. and after that, got all right marks my UAI, but I still didn't want to go to uni. Um, so dad wouldn't let me sit around and not have a job. So I applied for a traineeship when I was 18. Back then, traineeships were only like $180, $200 a week, so it was yep. pretty shit. But it was a lot of money back then. And yeah, started real estate. Shit kicker, sign boy, um, you know, property manager, shit kicker as well, mm-hmm. go get the coffee and everything. So that was at 18. Yep. Um, and I was at my first agency from 18 through till about, I think 21 or something like that for two, three years. Um, and then from there I went to the agency um, where I'm at, where, or the building we're at now, but it was formerly a different brand. Yep. I was there for four or five years and then I joined Wisebury. So mm-hmm. real estate's always what I did from leaving high school, um, but I just didn't take it seriously till, you know, till later on. Are you the youngest in the family? No. Okay. Um, so I'm the only boy, but I'm the second, like there's my older sister and that's it. Oh, okay, I see. Yeah. So just just for us to have a bit of an idea, right? Yeah. What, what is um, your, your best, uh, your, your record in terms of listing and sales in a month? Um, which we did it recently with August with my personal team. So whether it be EBU, whatever you want to call it, we did 26 sales yep. in a month yep. and we listed, um, 22 yep. listings in a month. Right. It was at that month when you also took a, took off to Las <laughs> yeah. Vegas for yeah. a week? Yeah, right? yeah it was. Yeah, that, that was, that's crazy. Yeah, it was good. 
This is the thing, you know. I mean, these kind of figures are—they—they uh, they, they would scare me, you know. That doing a, sure, you have a, a mini team around you. Do you want to explain that? Yeah. So um, we've over time, I guess it was organically formed. Um, We—I built a um, team, you know, EBU, whatever you want to call it. Um, it started off with myself and Jamil, um, who was a buyer's agent, because I always wanted a buyer's agent. Um, I think the level of care that buyers need um, to create repeat business and raving fans is the same that a vendor needs, but you can't do both at that high level if you want to do big numbers. So we started off with myself and Jamil about four years ago, um, and then we grew it with putting on an assistant. The assistant wasn't working out as much as we needed because um, at that time four years ago, our mini team was doing 70, 80% of what the business was doing, so the rest of the admin staff wasn't getting much work. So then we tried to amp it up by putting on a Benchy, a junior Jason. In that time, the assistant then left us. And it was, it's interesting because, you know, I listen to a lot of training sessions, but um, for people listening, my figures went from doing, say, already four or 500,000 per year. The minute Jamil joined, we went and did, I think it was 800 yeah. um, in a year, to then we put on the assistant and we finally cracked the million. Mm-hmm. Then we put on another person and we went to just under 1.5. And then now we've got myself and three associate agents, which is Jamil, um, who's a buyer's agent, just pure buyer's agent. Mark Correa, who's an associate agent who also does vendor management with me and does his own sales as well. Yep. And then Jason, who's just moved up last month to an associate agent who was the benchy. And um, we did the 1.5 million. So every time we've increased our staff, um, we've been able to increase our figures because we really can, you know, pick up yeah. more business and handle more business. Yeah, that is your business unit, but you also have other salespeople. Yeah, in yeah, yeah, well. absolutely. And, yeah. and they also running into business units or we, they running on their own? So we've got um, another business unit, yeah. um, which is led by Vulcan. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, a lot of people, they don't realise in real estate, there's two different things, right? People, there's people that want to write big, big figures. And then there's people that want lifestyle, which I got from, you know, from yourself, Thomas, and from Darren and whatnot. And for Vulcan, it wasn't about writing big figures. It was about maintaining, because he's a bit older than all of us. He's in his 50s and, you know, he likes his lifestyle and works Monday to Friday. And um, his business has grown. And he's, you know, he's happy writing between 450 and 600. But for him to write 450, 600, maintain good relationships and have a lifestyle as well, you can't do that on your own. So we put it on an associate agent for him, Reese, And Reese does a lot of the buyer work, a lot of the vendor management work on the weekends. Um, and he's writing, they write between 450, 600, which they're on track for um, every single year. Now, that's because they want lifestyle. Now, Vulcan and Reese next year could say to me they want to hit big numbers and they'll step up to that next level and we have to put on somebody. That's, you know, how it is. Yep. But yeah, they've got that. And then you know, we've also got Luke, who's just an agent on his own. And, you know, he's doing really, really well. His momentum's building. He's got listings now. And he's got intentions where, you know, he wants to, within three to six months, put on a benchy for himself. So... Um, yeah, we've got the little mini setups there and we're you know, really, really excited. We've got a new agent from our local area who's already a big producer in our local area starting next week. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's at the top female agent in our area and she's already said, you know, if she writes consistent four or 500 per year or if she's on track for the quarterlies to do that, within six months she wants an associate. So the mini team thing is growing, but it doesn't start that way. It always starts off with the individual. Yeah, I understand that. Now... <clears throat> You, were you an instant success or was it a gradual growth from when you started in sales? So at 21, you got into sales, right? Yeah, yeah. Look, um, I think I was never an instant success, but um, I enjoyed dealing with people. But the growth has been gradual, very slow, 
very painful. And if you look back on it now, um, very eventful and there's a lot of lessons in there. But yeah, it was very, very gradual. And every time, you know, there's a saying that I've learned and everyone tells me, you know, growth is pain and it's true. So um, yeah, it was very gradual. And every time I wanted to take that next step into my career, there was always that, you know, that pain bit to get there. But yeah, no, it was definitely slow. slow. What, what was the pain? Look, there's all different types of pains, you know. There's, um, you know, I remember my very first principal. They, you know, I, I did a huge quarter and they didn't believe I could do it. And, you know, it's interesting because um, they didn't pay me. They left and they said to me, I'll never make it in real estate. And then they actually offered me their business only a couple of years ago. And um, I laughed at them then, but anyway. Um, <laughs> so, you know, when I went into there, um, the pains of, you know, not learning things like, you know, when you're getting promoted, make sure you set the precedence with your principal or your leader. Understand where you are, what your targets are, you know, um, so that you do, when it comes time to get paid commissions or when if you have a marketing budget for yourself, make sure you have those tough conversations prior. Now, no one taught me at 21 to do that, so I went hell for leather, you know, helping with my leader and sales manager at the time, who probably will listen to this because he's a great bloke, and myself and Michael at the time, you know, we just listed and sold, and then the time came to get paid commissions, the business at the time didn't think that I could do those numbers, you know, and then all the, you know, the levies, you know, I know they helped you with that sale and they deserve this much comment out of it and all that bullshit came out. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, fuck, this isn't for me. You guys have no idea. And then, yeah, that was it. Left, I said, this is real estate. I actually left and I wasn't going to go back in. Oh, really? Yeah, I left and I wasn't going to go back in. And then Paul Denny called me because one of the guys from the office I left rang Paul to say, this guy's, you should call him. And I said to Paul, nah, stuff that. I don't want to get real estate. It was funny because I rang Darren back then and organised an interview when Megan was, was his PA and said, oh, I'm going to come in and have a chat because I knew Darren from a social network point mm-hmm. of view. And I cancelled Darren's appointment and took it with Paul. Right, so I see. Could I have see. had been a different, you know, different journey. But yeah, no, definitely gr- slow growth. There was a lot of slow pain over the time um, to get to where I am today. But, you know, um, I knew that real estate was for me pretty much the second time round. Okay, so. there's something I just want to ask. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you're, you're not a stupid dude, but then you go, hold on, I've got an opportunity of seeing two people. Yeah. Why cancel one? Why not seeing both of them and then make a decision? I'll tell you why, because it's interesting. And a lot of the times in our local community, it's, things still get said about this. There was a idea behind Wisebury at the time and working for Darren, it's like, it's like a drill sergeant. It's just hard bloody work. Right, right. And that's what all I heard. So... You know, and that links into why I went back to Wisebury. So all I heard was Darren's a taskmaster, he's a hard, you know, he's a hard boss and all that crap. Like stuff that, you know, these guys are having fun. Visually, it looks like these other people are having fun and making money. So I'll go over there. And then funny, I rang, I remember ringing Darren and Kurt four years later saying, all right, I'm ready to get drilled. Like when Kara fell pregnant and all the other crap happened, I was like, all right, I'm ready. So, so, so what, what happened then? Uh, when you said visually it looks good and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you explain like um, the difference in the culture then? Yeah, yeah, the, like, you know, it's completely different. You know, you're young and you, you know, you want all that flashy stuff. So looking at Darren's team back then, it was like, you know, they all, they're all doing certain things. Like they all wear their uniform, you know, they do big hours. And anyone I heard, I spoke to that was speaking about Wisebury at Gorick and it's like, you know, oh, Darren's heaps hard. Like he drills, you know, he drills his team. So I was like, oh fuck, I don't want to be a part of that. You know, these guys are drinking piss at two o'clock and, you know, they're driving flashy cars, wearing whatever they want and they're laughing and smiling. They've got to be having fun. So that's what I want. So I went over there and then, you know, what everyone hears about real estate, that's what I learned, you know, dog eat dog world and all the bullshit that I learned there. 
So what was the click then? Because you seem to, I'm starting to see now, you, you're a yeah. man of clicks. You, you go from one click to the yeah, next yeah, click. Yeah. Yeah? So, so what was the click then? What was that moment when you said, enough of this, yeah, flashy well, thing? Or? During that process, when I was working for the second company um, that we've now owned, um, I was still going through my party stage and you know, the stage of being what I was doing. And um, I was traveling, me and Caroline were traveling. So I was, yeah. there wasn't, you know, I, even if I didn't make money there, Meh, you know, I was having a good time over there anyway. So it wasn't serious, but at the same time, at the back of my mind, I always knew that I had to have a backup career. So the click moment was when life got serious, but also Cara fell pregnant and yep. I wanted structure, I needed to know something, and I knew in my head I wanted business. And where I was, I was never gonna get taught, because it was the typical real estate, which I know you'll probably remember, which is, you know, each listing is the individual's listing. You don't know, you know, it's a, it's a business within a business where you don't yeah. share the shit yeah. culture. Yeah. So, um, you know, I knew I was never gonna get anything from there. So it was time to ring someone who knew. And I still remember, um, Darren would remember my conversation when he sat me down and I said, Darren, I'm only coming here because I want my own business. Yep. But I knew that. And that's why I say to people, if you're going, you know, going into sales, make sure you know what you want and where you want to be. And that's one of my first questions I ask people now when I recruit them. If this is a career for you, where do you want? So some of my staff now, um, you know, the team, they've already told me they want a business within five years or they want to be SM or they want to do this. I want I want to hear that. And I remember saying to Darren, I want my own office, mm-hmm. you know, within five years. Mm-hmm. So that was the clue. Now, which brings us to my first meeting with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's in life. You 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 have some sometimes memories like uh, polaroids, and they some of them will stick with you for the rest of your life, right? Yeah. So this this one here, I mean, I don't know what you remember, but <laughs> what we were running a training uh, day. Yep. So we, it was three days of recruit training. Yeah. And I could see you dozing off a few times, and I'm thinking, mate, he's good, but if if he's dozing off, he's going to miss some of the elements. So. I thought I better wake him up. And all that I know back in those days is to get someone back into the right energy is to get them to have a bit of activity. Yeah. So that's so I asked you to do t- ten push-ups. Remember? Yep. And you refused. Yep. What What happened there? What was that moment? Look, you know, I I came from with, with my family. Um, I guess getting the way I got brought up, which I remember if we had we had a phone call years after that where I said something yep. to you. But um, the way I got brought up, and also with you know the life that I had lived, you don't take shit from anyone. Yeah. And if you know, if someone talks shit, <laughs> you know we have to talk shit get hit. Yeah. So you know, if the ten, to me at that time the ten push-ups, I didn't understand you know the whole energy that gets you drilling back then. All I heard was this guy thinks he's going to make me do ten push-ups, and you know I had an ego, and you know everyone's watching me. I've got to be a hero, you know. Now I look back and <laughs> fuck. But um. You know, this guy's asking me to do 10 push-ups. What the fuck's got that to do with what I'm here for, you know? Yep. I didn't want to come in the first place. Darren and Kurt are making me come. I already lose better than everyone in the team. So, fuck, what am I doing here? And now you want me to do 10 push-ups? Fuck. You're kidding yourself. That's what happened in my head. Right, I see. Uh, you know. And so what happened in your head when I asked you to leave? Yeah, sweet. I'm, you know, I'm the coolest kid in the room now. I'm yeah, getting okay. kicked out. See you later. I yep. was like, fuck, this ain't for me. Stuff this. I'm not doing this shit. This mm-hmm. is exactly why I didn't want to come to Wiresbury. That's what in my head, you know? I can list better than half of them anyway, so who cares? I yep. just go do what I want to do. That's what went through my head. Yeah. Yeah. Who's this bloody, you know, this prick thinking he's telling me what to do? Yeah. So, so, so what happened then? Ah, then I rang Darren. Yeah. And I remember the pause that he when I said I got kicked out, and he said, "You're joking." So now I'm being serious. He 
you know, you're joking. So Darren, I'm being fucking serious. I just got kicked out. I'm gonna go back in there and punch his head in. <laughs> Darren said, well, I don't know if he, I can't remember if he called you or if he said. No, because I was still yeah, doing yeah, the course, I, yeah? He said, you're gonna stay there and then you're gonna apologize. I can't really clear if I, if I apologize that day or the next day. No, so you came in yeah. right after the training and you wanted to apologize. I said, man, I've got nothing to tell you. Yeah. You can go. That's right. right? That's right. And yeah, that's right. And I was like, fucking on the way home, I'm like, nah, fuck this. Fuck that arrogant prick. Yeah. And then Darren, I came here, you know, not putting up this shit. Yeah. And then I believe, I think I spoke to Darren that on the way home. And then I had to come back the next day and I got here early and apologized then. I think he said what? No, I think Darren said what? On the phone, he said, um, you know, I was losing it to Darren. Like, I was losing my mind because, like Thomas said, I had a bit of an anger problem back then. Like, nah, don't need this shit. And I was absolutely going crazy on the phone. And, you know, Darren's like, you want, he said something on, on the lines of, you know, you said you'd do whatever it takes, and that's why you came here. So this is what it's going to take. So you got to swallow your pride and go say sorry. And, you know, I thought about it now. Like, I always think back then, I'm like, what if I didn't do that? And I just threw it in. But it was really in the head. It's like, yeah, you know, you got to be prepared to do this shit. And I remember, yeah, Dan was saying something like, you know, that one of those growth moments. Am I your leader? He yeah, said yeah, to you. yeah. If I'm your leader, this, you know, you trust me, this is what you have to do. And mm. then, you know, that's what happened. Because he said to you, if, if Thomas says you have to leave, you, you're going to have to go. Yeah, 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 100%. And, yeah. you know, he said to me, that's right, he said to me, you came to me because you want me to be your leader yep. and he's my leader. So disrespecting him is disrespecting me. That's what got me. I was like, yeah, true. Very, very true. You know? Right, I see. So, so did Karen have anything to say in it? Karen, nah, fuck no. <laughs> nah, nah, nah she, she just shook her head. One of those stupid Abdullah moments. She see, she's seen heaps of them. She's seen heaps of them in her life. And then when you came back in the next day, that's when you went up one notch in my yeah. mind because I thought that takes a lot of guts. Yeah. yeah. And... And I think I got still your 10 push-ups yeah, you after you apologized to the whole team for yeah, doing it. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. And, and do you know, this, this is the big thing. For me, uh, some of those things are tests. Yeah. And they're not tests to get someone to do 10 push-ups. This is not the army, you know. But first of all, I was doing it so you get your energy back. But the entire scenario, for me, they pivotal moments in someone's life where you, you can either make a decision to walk and then you never know. <coughs> Or you go, no, there is something in me that is being challenged, that I need to conquer. To conquer the world, I need to conquer myself first. Correct. And I think that that is what I remember of, of you. Yeah. Now you've been in the market where you've done just this last month, when uh, while a lot of Asians have been crying about uh, a slump market, you did $360,000 in that month, yeah. where the selling fees is roughly $15,000 per sale, yeah. right? So that's a lot of sales. Yeah. Now, can I just ask you, are salespeople born or made? So there is people, and I remember you saying this to me, there is people that are natural salespeople, yeah. but you can make salespeople too. So there's definitely natural salespeople, but they need their um, skill set tuned, and they need to understand how to, you know, utilize it, what they've been given, and then people can be trained to be very good salespeople as well. Um, you know, use me as an example. When it comes to the very, very early people, you know, the ones that like two, three hour conversations. If you had somebody like a very conscientious introvert person, mm -hmm. people that don't know in the podcast, please research it. But if you've got one of those people, a lot of people will say they're not good salespeople. They're good salespeople still. 
because they've got that care factor, they've got that, you know, they've got that quality where they can build long relationships with those type of people. With me, all I'm thinking in my head after an hour is, you know, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to do this. So for me, um, I believe that definitely salespeople, there's natural salespeople, but salespeople can also be taught, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you're a natural one. Yeah, I remember you saying that to me, that's what, and I, look, I, I agree that now that I look back, I can now spot a natural salesperson too, mm-hmm. and, but the thing is the skill set and the mindset is, on a, I believe in natural salespeople, to tune that is a lot harder than on someone that's not a natural salespeople and you're teaching them, because yeah. they naturally think they know everything. <laughs> Oh God! So, when I was in your office last, I, I could notice the energy within the team. Yeah. I, so Abdullah, you must be doing something special to to have that kind of energy. F- yeah. To foster that within your team. Look, I think, um, well, not I think. I know one of the big differences in our business, and it's both. Like, I, I believe if you go into our Berkeleyvale office and or our Tumby office, it's exactly the same now, and that's come from. Firstly, I run it like a family. The environment's a family. There's no secrets. Everything is 100% available to my business team and to the whole company. I don't care who it is. Now, some people listening to this are going to think this is really crazy, but you know, this it's your own culture and everyone's different. I don't hide nothing from my team, meaning my quarterly reports from my accountant are available in my top right drawer, and my whole team know that. Everyone, down to the admin person. No one's ever looked at it because I don't want to lie to my team ever. When there's good times, let's play, let's celebrate. When there's tough times, let's dig deep. But if you need proof, if someone in my team needs proof because they don't believe what I'm saying, they can go to my top right drawer and all our quarterly statements are there from when we first, when it's been available to me. Um, The other thing is, I listened to a podcast once and they said CEO or leader stands for Chief Energy Officer. And so many leaders and business owners have their office separate and they've got that box I believe, and we're changing our business where my wife who does you know, accounts and she's gonna be doing a lot of the events and general management, she's gonna have that. And I'm putting my admin team in the box now. They deserve more privacy. They need, they're the ones that take those hard phone calls and they're running the show. They're running the, the back end, which is more important than the front end. So the rest of us, I'm in charge of the energy in the business and the way that I've built our business is everyone is now in charge of everyone's energy. Yeah, I like it. So we've got a scenario, Thomas, where I think is really important, you know, not going to religion side of things, but they say that, you know, you know, you picture a black cloud and they say that you, the light, you know, God sends a light to break through the clouds. Picture um, walking into an office, everyone's high energy. You know, you get that feeling when someone's walking through the office and they're in a shit mood. Mm-hmm. And we call that a black cloud moment. You know, they've got a black cloud behind them. It doesn't matter if I'm not there, someone or everyone has to be that white light, the shining light to break through that cloud because otherwise that black cloud's got to get the fuck out of the office. How do you instill that responsibility into a team? Because we're a family. It's simple as that. Would you do it to your own partner? Would you do it to your mother? Would you do it to your father? You spend more time you do in an office than you do at home. And you know that's why I, I brought my wife into it because I spend more time in my business than I do with my own wife and child, mother and father now. Why the hell would I want it worse than my fam- my house? Mm, mm, mm. If you're spending, you know, in my team, I don't even have to ask them, they're doing all of them. Like the month that we had, they were averaging 70 plus hour weeks. They're spending more time here than they are at home. Why would you want to have a shit work culture? Like why would you want to have a shit environment? When you're at home, you have a great environment. You have to have that in the office. And the only way to do that is have a family environment. Okay. So. 
even with the best recruitment, sometimes you may fall onto that bad weed. How yeah. do you handle it? Do you take the time to change it? What, what, yeah, do you get rid of it? What, what do you do? Do you weed them out or do no, you change the weed into nice grass? Everyone's got that light in them. Everyone's got this, everyone's born, you know, again, sorry guys if you're not into religion, but God gives everyone the same, you know, same structure, same engine, same system. So you can change anything. It's all up to there and it's all in there, head and heart. But the bottom line is it's not, and this is again, um, how our business is built. It is not my responsibility. It is not Andy's responsibility. It's everyone's responsibility. If you're in our business, it's everyone's responsibility. Yes, it's my responsibility at the start of every day to make sure everyone's in a great mood. And if I'm not there, I always tell, like when I was in Vegas, it was Jamil and Vulcan's responsibility. But, you know, even from Vegas, just a quick 30 second FaceTime, you know, being heaps loud, because I, I love to see that shit. But, um, you know, if someone new's coming, yeah, of course it's the leader's first utmost to build them into the, um, culture, but it's everyone's responsibility to make sure that energy is right. And if there is a black cloud, to fix it quickly. Mm -hmm. You know, we've got to. Yeah. So, so what what happens is that black cloud yeah. never changes. That's no, possible. Light's always going to break break through. The light will always break. So, through. Are you saying that you never fire anyone? Yeah, absolutely, I have. Okay, but so so that might be that black light, cloud, wouldn't it? Look, the black cloud will maybe stay there, but the light can always break through. Now, the light, the black cloud might not all disappear, but the light will definitely break through eventually. Now, if you know my time and you know my effort of my energy of my team has come through, then it's got to go. But the bottom line is, we won't stop giving up unless there's a culture break. So I that, see, I see. So example, you know, um, there's two people that I had in my business, um, two young benches, and you know, I know my whole team will listen to this, but they'll know the people I'm talking about. They weren't producing. They were some of them were the, one of them was there for over 12 months, but we were making light break through the cloud. But the minute that that person bullshitted to me about, you know, they were sick and really the next minute on Instagram, there's a picture of them the next day drinking beers in a pool. <laughs> that's a culture break, not a, that's not an effort or energy break. And that's got to go. Because you're now a part of our business. You're a part of our family. I'd rather you say you're hungover. And that's the business we've got. Ring me and say you're hungover. Don't ring me and say, you know, I'm sick and whatever. So that's when I know that black cloud it's there but I don't want to put any more time and what I've given is a gift to you what you do with it's your your responsibility that's an amazing set of values that you impose upon the team it's so and they embrace that but one, one of the things I really like and and I used to do this so much so that you know I'm still in contact with some of my boys uh, is that my home is open to everyone in my absolutely. team absolutely and, and I believe that you know that, that you're doing the same thing in yeah the, in absolutely the team. absolutely like we just had the UFC playing at my place everyone was invited but I don't just invite the team it's their part their family their kids everyone's invited doesn't matter who it is you know I can't wait to work closer to home so that they can come you know my wife Carolina she's the same she's never said no the team come over obviously because I work bigger hours now it's a bit less but you know they used to come over weekly yeah, doesn't bother me. And you know, we go if we eat together, we do everything. It's, you know, you, you sp again, you spend more time with the people you work with than you do with your own family, as if you wouldn't want to work with people you want to work with. Yeah, very good. So where is that passion coming from? Because now, like, that passion's coming out right now. Yeah. So, and that inspires me. Where, where's your passion? Where's your energy coming from? The passion comes from the people. It honestly does. Like for me right now, the figures, like, you know, I used to, everyone has goals, right? Everyone has stuff they want to do in life. And you know, before I had my daughter, or even when I did have my daughter, I wanted to hit a million dollars. I wanted to be a million dollar writer. Then I hit that, then I wanted to do 1.25. Then I, and then finally I remember, um, you know, I got to 1.5 and then Darren said, you could do two. But then the passion was out of writing big fees. I was like, fuck, I don't want two million bucks. I knew what it took out of me to do this much. 
Like I never got to spend any time with my family. I don't want to do that. So now, you know, you always have to retweak it. Now it's me getting other people to that level now and um, getting pe seeing people win. Like if I believe in my staff as much as I do, and you know, I've got staff that, you know, and again, he, he knows who this is going to be, so I'm going to talk about him. But, you know, there's a guy on my team right now, he's an ex-sales manager for Telstra for years and years, running one of the most successful Telstra offices. Mm -hmm. You know, and every now and then he drops down, he's like, you know, down himself. I know what I saw in him. I don't care if I invest in him for years and years and years. And he's saying to me, I'm not bringing, this is his words, I'm not bringing you income, I'm not contributing. Everyone's contributing. That drives me because I know what I saw in him and I know I'm not wrong. I know that he's got it in him and that's what gets me going now. But everyone has to have that goal. And again, it goes on to goals. Everyone has to have that goal that they actually are that passionate and keen and hungry to achieve. Because if you don't, you know, you're not gonna, there's no passion there. And every, that's the best thing. Everyone in my business and everyone that I work with, you know, they all have that. And they're all different. Like with, again, with Vulcan having work-life balance, that, that's a passion, that's a goal for him. And he has to work a certain level to maintain work-life balance. For him to have two days off in a row or take every quarter a week off overseas with his kids, he has to hit numbers. Reese to have balance with his new twins, you know, a new, a new father having balance with his wife and twins, that, that gets me going. That's, you know, that's, you gotta love that stuff. But then if there's people that just don't have nothing, you know, they've got nothing, they've got nothing they want to achieve, they don't want to do anything, well, you know. So if I understand you well, your passion comes from the fact that you want to develop people now. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I want look. I want to keep showing people that I'm now at a I'm at a happy level where I can write a certain number with the team that I've built, so I can keep showing them that it's always doable. So in my business, people look and you know I know that I don't like it when they look up to me, but I know they do. Um, certain people and other people in the network. If I can do this, have a young family, run a business, grow a rent roll, plus have my own team and grow other people as well. At the age of twenty eight. 29 now. Oh, but 29 yeah, now. But, but like I started at 27, 28, yeah, you know? Yeah. And if I can do all of that and still have a lifestyle, travel overseas, and now I'm finally getting a bit of work-life balance with my wife and my daughter, it's, it's possible for anyone. But it's what you want to do. Like if you want work, like, like again, I go back to it. If you want what Vulcan's got, if you want what Jamil's got, if you want what, you know, um, our property management team now have, there's, there's a solution to it but you're just gonna have to want it hard enough. And people, there's a thing that um, I listened to uh, saying, right? People don't want something hard enough until it hurts enough. Once the pain gets to a level, that's when they finally realize that they want it bad enough. Mm. So, and, and so the, the, the pain of going for the two million came from all the sacrifices you made to get the 1.5, and yeah, that's well, when you rejected the two million. Absolutely, to get to two million, I'd have to put on another staff member, I'd have to have a personal PA. Um, the admin team that we've got wouldn't be able to handle two million by themselves. I would probably lose one of my current staff, so Jamil, Jason, or Mark, the level of workload I'd put on them, they would definitely, being younger than me, they've got a life they want to live too, and I have to respect that. Um, you know, they wouldn't be able to handle that. So I would have had to have put on two more staff and I would have, you know, I would have, no, not a chance. Yeah. Like my energy would have had to have gone from away from my actual, um, you know, look, if I was just a salesperson, sure, I could do it. I've got no issues with that, but I chose a different path and I can't go back on that. So to go to two million, I would have had to have lost somebody else's dreams and goals and someone else would have had to suffer because my energy would have been two million, not what the responsibility that I accepted. Yeah. You know, I've talked. I talk quite a lot about the SMS, my SMS, which is the trinity of skill, yep. mindset, and yep. self. Right? Yep. You have definitely like an, an enormous talent. So your skill level, it's uh, it's pretty high. 
your mindset. No, no one can discuss it. That you know, it is pretty positive. But there's one thing that I've seen over the last uh, probably now 18 months in you, is that yourself has grown. There is yep. something in you that has gone to a next level. And as yourself has gone to a high level, yep. suddenly you don't have to make take 1,000 actions in order to fulfill or reach your destination. Your skill now can be at 100% potential. Your mindset now yep. is, is fully worked. You know. So can can I ask you? Where is that self-change come from? Because I, I can see it, and, yeah. and, and I think I, I want to know. What is it that made that self-change? Yeah, it's interesting you say the timeline is very similar to a timeline of when I stopped, as you know, um, partying very heavily. Yeah, and, I um, remember that. Yeah, yeah. and um, I got back, you know, and again, I hope this doesn't offend anyone, but, you know, I got back onto my religion as well. Yes. Um, but... About 18 months ago, I got a reality check from the doctors that all the stuff I did, and so for all the people that are younger that are listening, um, all the partying and drugs and everything that I'd done um, had finally taken a toll on my body. And if I don't try to reverse that, probably won't be around longer than 40, if that. I always, you know, I used to joke around, and the guys at Wyong office would remember I'd always joke around saying I don't want to make 50. Obviously, didn't have a kid then, so changes now. But um, getting told that, thinking that I was having, you know, um, heart problems, which, you know, comes from obviously overabuse of certain substances, um, was a big reality check. So, you know, when the doctor told me that and then a few other things happened, I got back onto my religion. And it doesn't have to be religion, whatever your belief might be, but, you know, about 18 months ago I realised something, which this is where a lot of people say, I act like I'm 50 now and I'm dying. You know, <laughs> you only get one crack at this, literally. You know, you only get one crack at life. Everyone's so worried, a lot of people my age are so worried about other people's opinions, having all flashy this, flashy that. You know, they're full of shit. Like, you're gonna go 10 feet under and that's it. Whether you believe in the next life or you believe that's game over, or you come back as an animal, whatever. Whatever your belief is, you only get one crack at life. I talk to people all the time that remember me like the best man at my wedding, and I had dinner with him the other day, and we talk all the time, and we talk about all the dumb shit that we used to do together. Mm -hmm. And that only feels like yesterday. We're talking six years ago. We're talking five years ago. It's like that. I had dinner um, with a guy from school the other day. And, you know, it feels like yesterday that we we're in school and I'm catching up with this guy. And that was 10 years ago. And now he owns a pub. People got to realise that, you know, time goes so quick. And I heard something when I was on this journey back, finding myself again and, you know, going back to my faith. When you're a kid, all you want to do is grow up. All you want to do is get older so you can drive a car, get into clubs and do all that crap. And once, you know, when you get that, then you want to get to, you know, traveling and own a house. The minute you get to a certain level or a certain age, you want time to slow down because you're realizing how fast it's going. Yeah, yeah. And um, for me, my daughter is my biggest thing and that's what woke me up. I don't want to die young. Whether the, you know, God willing, you know, whatever's written for me is written for me. But, you know, um, I want to make sure that I make and squeeze every bit I can out of this life and do it the right way. And the last thing was, I don't want to... I don't want my kid or my kids, if I have more, God willing, but you know, I don't want them to hear that I dad died of organ failure because of over substances and shit. I don't want them to remember me like that. I don't want anyone to remember me like that. I want them to remember me like he was a hard worker, you know, he took care of, you know, um, his family, you know, all the right stuff, all that sort of stuff. But again, big reality is I don't live this life for you, I don't live this life for them, I don't live this life for anyone but myself and my family and that's it. And as far as I'm concerned, my family is my blood and the people I work with and the people I love. So, you know, that's the reality. And if you don't think it, you're full of shit, as if you're not gonna die, as if you're not gonna, you know, go 10 feet under. The one thing that we all, you know, forget in life because we're so busy chasing life is that there's a, there's a clock ticking every single day that you can't slow down. 
So, like I said, now the age that I'm at and where I'm at, you realise how fast time's going. Yeah, wow, that's amazing. Listen, to, to you, is, is there a difference between passion and purpose? Are you driven by passion or purpose? Yeah, um, I believe there's a difference between passion and purpose, and it's passion that I'm driven by, right. not the purpose. Because so know, the passion to uncover the best in others. Yeah, absolutely. Passion yeah. is something that I'm fully driven by now. Like, again, if it's my goal to do something, I'm 100% passionate to get there and do it, and you've got 100% of me. I can't remember who I've spoken to the other day, and they were saying to me, like, remember, you know, that one in all in, you know, if, there was a fight, you know, if there's one of us in it, then there's all of us in it. It's the same as, you know, I'm all in. If I've got something that I want to chase, I'm all in. And especially if there's, if I'm back, you know, if my team's with me, we're 3,000%. You know, you always say about trenches, you know, you talk about, you know, like the army and all that sort of stuff. If one in, we're all in. And that's my whole business. I know everyone. I don't need to worry about a thing, and that's the passion there. So the purpose, you know, if you've got a purpose in life and all those bits and pieces, that's different. But, you know, a passion, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So can I just ask you five tips on creating passion? Don't bullshit to yourself, firstly. Yep. Yep. If, if it really is what you want, then you'll go get it. So that's one. So yep. don't, don't bullshit to yourself. If you're passionate about something, and these are for the people that have got partners or girlfriends or you know, if, they love their, if they're still younger and it's about their parents and their family life, or their personal life, make sure that you've got the support of the people that you actually, at that age or in your mindset, that you care about. So if you still do think, care about people's opinions and all that sort of stuff, make sure that the support's there for what you're you know, passionate about. Yeah. So if you're passionate about your you know, fitness and all that sort of stuff, you know, people might joke around about it and it might dent your ego and all those bits and pieces. So make sure you've got the support about it. But support meaning you'll be all right, you, you're doing fine, you're pushing yourself too hard, or support, meaning mate, you know what you want. Yeah, this is not the time to... See, that was going to be my other one, is right. don't give up on it. So if you're passionate about something, yep. if you're actually that passionate about it, you won't give up on it no matter what. You'll, you know, if you're, the route that you're taking to get to that destination might be blocked, but then you can see an alternative route. It's not a shortcut, but it's an alternative route to get around it, to get to your end destination. Make sure, if you're passionate, you'll find that other route or you'll find a way to break that blockage. But if you're not passionate about it, then you're not gonna do that. So that's another one. But by, by not giving up, you're actually creating the passion. Absolutely, yeah. and that's the thing though, the, the, the thing that you're chasing though, or the, what you're trying to get to, you have to want it that bad that you will do that. Because if you don't do that, you don't want it that bad. Right, that's right, bullshit. okay. So what's the fourth one, Abdullah? Accountability for your passion as well. Whether it be accountable to yourself or you're having someone that you're accountable for, you know, like for example, in real estate, people always, you know, you think in your head, you might think about giving up and people always go back. Remember that time when you, you know, you're doing that sale or you're getting that VPA and, it, you know, you make sure you've got accountability for that because that's a big one. Yeah, but so, so when it comes to people, then your accountability is what? Every now and then you sit down and you look at your entire team and you go, I have helped him to this level. He has now changed that. Is yeah. that what you mean accountability? Now, look, that is one. So... You said this to me, and then yesterday, my business partner, Andy, sent me a message saying this. So Andy, how's that for deja vu? Stop and smell the roses. So with your passion, it's great to be passionate about something, but make sure you stop and smell the roses because you can get lost in a spiral of, you know, of that passion so quickly, or that goal or whatever it might be. So stop and smell the roses. But the accountability, um, yeah, if it's other people, then get them to account, you know, 
be accountable to them. Yeah. Make sure that's the... That's nice. I like that one. So, what about your last one? I don't know, actually. Well, maybe I can... Um, I can actually see your last one is that your, your passion is not about you or it's not about something in it for you. And and hence, really, that should have been your number one or yeah. it's great number five is that you yeah. by focusing on people, you're focusing on something that is external to yourself. Yep. And it's very easy to have that passion because people being unique and people being themselves, you can't be in control of that. Yeah. So that never dies, that never stops. So and that passion is continuously going. And it's a one thing, for example, it, over the last 18 years, I've been running the uh, recruit training that takes about three days. Yeah. And people say to me, how can you still be passionate about it after 18 years? And I said to them, you don't understand. <coughs> when I do recruit training, I don't look at the recruit as a recruit. I look at them as a person. Yeah. I look at them and I see. I and and I I challenge myself in seeing in them something they haven't seen about themselves. And I have three days to try to draw that out of them. It's almost like I know the the flower that they will become. Yeah. Three days before they flower, you know. Yeah. And so, how can you be? Bored with this, even yeah. after 19, 18, 19 years. It's yeah. impossible. Yeah, I agree. No, look, I, I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. I, I like that. Yeah. Man, I wish I had even more time, Abdullah. Uh, but I'm sure I'm going to talk to you again, and then it's going to be about something else. Because yeah. really, there's a, a lot of things about very exciting about you. And one of the things I really would, would like to talk to you is, is probably at some stage in the future is about how that concept of family came about. And, and, and I think that you and I, we have done something similar. Uh, maybe you leaving your family at the age of 16 or 15 and me leaving it at 20, we haven't got really a family. We had to form a family. Yep. So we formed yep. some values about family that now forces us to have family beyond blood. Yep. And I think that's a nicer family, not the family that you're born with, but yeah. the, the family that may encompass the people that you're born with, but that extend to the people that you have adopted. Yeah. You know? So I really would like to talk in the future. Man, I, I really can't thank you enough for giving uh, me the time today. I appreciate it. It's Thanks. Cool. Hopefully people can pick up something from it. Appreciate Thanks, man. It. I'm sure if they don't, it's stupid. <laughs> thank you. Thanks, man. Bye-bye.